0: Welcome to Soundbreaker. On today's episode, we're talking to Chris Lakey, who is a groundbreaker in the music industry. Thanks for joining us. For our listeners who might not be familiar with you, sorry, (laughs) you're welcome. Uh, For our listeners who might not be uh, familiar with you, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a bit about what you do? Not too much, because we're going to dive into it later. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. Name's uh, Chris Lakey. I'm the senior vice president. Of global creative sync at cobalt music um based here in los angeles uh been at cobalt for 16 years been in the industry since 2001 um
0: and yeah let's go great chris before we dive into any of the uh the details and all the juicy stuff can you take us back to your teenage days uh, or maybe even younger how were you inspired what made you take that route of music was it mom, dad, cousin, friend, uh, group, please? Yeah, music was always just a part of our
1: household. Um, My parents just playing vinyl, obviously being in the backseat of their cars, always music going on on the radio or whatnot. Um, And actually in high school, I inherited my dad and my grandfather's record collection. Um, And then one thing I discovered at the time, I was really into, I mean, this is like junior high, I was getting into hip hop. I started discovering that, there were songs that sounded like the songs I was listening to, but the songs I was Uh listening to were snippets of the original songs, which happened to be samples. So uh, the vinyl collection that that I inherited from my father and my grandfather, I was finding all these original songs, and I just started really becoming, honestly, uh, a vinyl junkie, um, going to record stores, just trying to find, like, original samples. Um, Yeah, and then really sort of was into hip-hop, when I got into college, uh, I would say that my palette for music uh, really expanded just due to the friends that I made and also just what I majored in, which was uh, music industry at USC, college mm-hmm. radio, um, and just really expanded my horizons. Um, and then, obviously, in college, I found that there was an actual true business in many different areas within the business for music. So, um, yeah, my love and passion for music came from, you know, household just listening to music, Uh, and just loving art in
0: general. Always the best. Um, Just curious, before I jump into the next question is, how many vinyls do you own in your collection? Do you still have the collection? Do you add more to it? Yeah, I would say
1: right now it's probably around 3,200. Yeah, most are actually boxed up in in my attic. I keep the special ones out. I actually want to go back and get, like, a true techniques turntable.
0: I, I'd have a couple of turntables. How but, do you uh, find when you need something? Like, do you know everything is labeled and you have, like, a metadata list in your computer?
1: No, actually, what it is is <laughs> if I look in the box, uh, I can pull out a vinyl and know what it is. So, I mean, at this point, the collection, like, spans so many different genres. So I'll have, oh. honestly, like, ambient drum and bass, intelligent dance music in one, but then I'll also have, like, funk music from a certain era and another. And honestly, it's one of those things where, you know, we all, I say we all uh, have our own little messes, but we know where everything is.
0: That's how my question is. I bet there's some classics because you you inherited that. Jazz yeah. and disco and all of that. Like some of jazz, the real, yes. Jazz, disco.
1: I mean, I have like Oof. two Sgt. Pepper's albums that haven't even been, uh, vinyl that haven't been opened. Um, uh-huh. I have, you know, rare rare vinyl from overseas I was getting in from Germany in like the early 2000s. So, yeah, it, it was a bit of finding. But to be honest with you, what I really like and I still do like doing this is actually going into a vinyl store and talking to like a shop owner or just honestly just digging through and having sort of that like that feel and that touch experience and I, and honestly pulling something up, not really knowing what it is, but it having a cool cover.
0: And if mm-hmm. it's, you know, within my budget, giving it a shot. Interesting. <laughs> um chris um every journey has a starting point can you share the story of how you landed your first job in sync and what sparked your interest in this unique uh, you know intersection of music and media together
1: yeah so um so as i said i graduated from the university of southern california uh their school of music they had a music industry program which essentially is a business program all geared towards the music industry and Mm -hmm. then the other side of the The program was performance, which a lot of people are in performance, but I was in the music industry program. And really what I recognized early on was that I needed to figure out what I kind of didn't want to do. And I still had school as a fallback plan. So Mm
0: -hmm.
1: I interned everywhere for whether it was management, whether it was at big companies, whether MTV back in the day when we actually had distribution, BMG distribution, labels, managers. Uh, And really, what the turning point was for me was um, Donald Passman, who is a legend in the music industry, was a guest speaker at USC in a couple of my classes, and I remember just Mm -hmm. talking to him about sort of what my passions were. You know, I love the art, I love music, but I also really liked the business end. I really liked the intricacies of copyright. I really liked. uh, I mean, I was on my way to law school. Actually, applied to law school, got in law schools, but I was I was really into what I call like the left brain, right brain Mm -hmm. within the music industry. And he actually told me about music publishing. And he's like, you know, there's obviously the copyright aspects, there's a licensing aspect, there's a clearance aspect, but there's a whole creative aspect to it also. And you're around songwriters and really, you know, the power of a song. Um, And honestly, after that, I started seeking out publishing jobs, which was at the time, I didn't really even know what that meant. it sounds crazy. I actually walked into Universal Music Publishing, like physically, and and mm-hmm. asked them, do you have any internships available? They said, actually, we do in the sync department, but, you know, here, apply for it and come back. I applied for it, and I started interning at Universal Music Publishing um, starting in the summer of going into my senior year, and mm-hmm. that eventually turned into a job so when i graduated uh actually that october um mm-hmm. they had a position for me and i just started as an assistant in the licensing
0: uh wow. and universal mm-hmm. interesting yeah publishing is its own world it is it is a lot of even a lot of people in the business still don't understand it you know yeah it, it yeah. definitely
1: i mean i'm learning about it I'm learning more about it every single day. I mean, obviously with the advent of, you know, things like TikTok or, you know, UGC content, and then just even just how copyrights are split. And it's, it's always, it's always changing and always evolving. So I think all of us are continuously learning.
0: Absolutely. Um, Reflecting on your time with, you know, at UMG from 2002 to 2008, Sync and Media looked very different then. Uh, especially before streaming emerged and mainstream, can you tell us about working in sync during the time and how you know you've seen the field evolve and you know evolve with streaming
1: yeah, so you know at, at that time, I would say for a lot of artists, a lot of bands, mm-hmm. sync was sort of looked at as there was a benefit to it, but there were a lot of detriments to it, for instance you know, would people want to do Taco Bell ad or, or Pepsi ad? A lot of artists thought that that was quote unquote selling out, or why would I do that? Why would I want my music there attached to this TV show, this, that, and the other, because, you know, prior to streaming, most artists made their money off of CD sales and touring a lot of money. And, merch. Yes. and there's a lot of money. So, <laughs> yes. the, so the focus for them was, how do we get on radio? Like, you know, traditional radio, And how do we sell CDs? How do we sell merch? And then how do we tour? I always think back because I would see, you know, first week numbers. Now think about it. First week numbers back then where it's like, oh, someone's only sold 350,000 copies of their album. And it was quote unquote a flop. Whereas Mm -hmm. nowadays, if you do 100,000 Cumulative sales. You are a superstar, and yes. you know just the economics of it too. Back then, a CD was twenty dollars. So you do the economics yes. of three hundred fifty thousand times twenty dollars. Where nowadays yeah. you start doing you know the fractional that you get from streaming this that and the other. Yes. All that Correct. to be said. All that to be said. I think Sync back then was very 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 passive, meaning you know maybe a, a top flight director had a relationship with a band and was making a movie. And the band was like, okay, we'll like license it and here pass it to our publisher so they could approve it. And it's more on a licensing end. And even back then, the creative departments within Sync were very, very, very small because I'm sure they probably had a lot of caveats on like, this band doesn't want to do this, 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 this. Don't bring this, don't do this, this, this. So again, it was very, very passive back then. Now, you know, post streaming yes post the cd era it's syncs are part of the narrative and highly important to every artist not only for income not only for income streams and revenue but it's also for awareness right traditional radio you know there's only whatever 20 slots for for uh for artists and songs on traditional radio however a lot of people are discovering music via different television shows video games <laughs> film not only that it's also in a sense, passive income. So whether you're aware of it or not, but if your song, you know, you license a song for a, for a a series, and maybe you as an artist don't see it, you are making Mm -hmm. that passive income. And there's also income to be made further. And then also just on a global level now where, you know, productions are coming out of Europe, out of West Africa, out of Asia. So there's sync opportunities there. And again, now sync is part of the actual narrative. Now, most of my conversations at the creative level, with artists, with managers, are how could we tee up syncs in quantity, um, yes. let alone those sort of evergreen syncs that actually move the needle, because they do understand that, you know, some, you know, if a song is used in Euphoria, it can move the needle with your Spotify streams. If the song is in FC, the FIFA game, it will move the needle. And then also, you know, with ads and trailers and still those sort of evergreen sinks, you're you're making like a substantial income off of it.
0: Would you, was it fair to say that uh, back in the day, maybe millions, if not even hundreds of millions of dollars been lost for a lot of the artists not, you know, getting involved in SYNC because of SYNC was, you know, be, as you said, it's part of selling out. You know, it's not being true to what you do, who you yeah.
1: are. Honestly, I don't, I wouldn't say that just because also just the sync market wasn't as developed as it is now, right? Yeah, I mean Netflix wasn't around, you know, Apple Plus, streaming services, how we actually uh, ingest uh, sync, you know, audio music to audio visual was just very, very different back then.
0: But TV was around, the commercial were around, movies, TV shows. I mean, people were glued more to TV than there was no devices. The only entertainment was the movie theater or your TV every day, the news, the shows, you know, commercials. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, if I just kind of think back on it, but if, you know, (laughs) sort of those bigger television shows at that time, I, you know, they used music, but not in a sense that they use music as a driver and to help shape culture and an actual show. Now, you know, you think back to, I mean, this is even older, but something like a movie like Purple Rain or Sixteen Candles, like yes. Top to Bottom or The Crow, like yeah. Top to Bottom, those soundtracks were incredible. Now that we look at it like, oh, my God, these names on it, how did they afford it? But those were very, very rare. Like if you look yes. at, you know, television show like, say, like a Seinfeld or even Friends, yeah, the theme songs were huge. But with in the shows, they weren't really using music the way that I would say – You know, even like an Abbott Elementary now uses music within the show.
0: You know, if you notice that show, Entourage, I remember. Oh, yeah. in the end of each episode, they Mm -hmm. always had a different theme song. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, songs from artists, whether it was Mm -hmm. Kanye, it was some others, it was some Lion Kings, I think. Oh, so many. Mm -hmm. So many songs. Rock, it depends on, you Mm -hmm. know, the ending of the show, yes yeah yeah yeah. so the you know
1: when when it started breaking and, and again uh you know like something like an hbo was definitely like tastemaker yes. but also pushing that envelope back then where it's like actually you know music should be part of this narrative and there's a conversation to be continued after the yeah. show's over so that we're still talking about like perry farrell and like jane's addiction song that's that was in entourage and it lives yes. outside of that so <laughs> yeah so it's yeah it's. I think at the time, just the sync world wasn't as developed as it is here holistically. But were there artists who left money on the table because of, you know, how... And again, they had to position themselves the way that they felt that they had to position themselves. Yes.
0: Um, Probably so. Got it. Um, Let's fast forward to your impressive journey at Cobalt. Uh, where you climbed the ladder from music licensing to your current role as a senior vice president of Global Creative Sync. Congratulations on that. Thank Um, you. Absolutely. Uh, By the way, um, for our listeners who might not be fully understanding how Sync works, could you explain what is your current role?
1: Yeah, so I break my role into two aspects um please the global, creative, the global creative sync team at cobalt right now there's 27 people on the team so there's mm-hmm. a, ma- a management of people aspect uh but what you're with the listeners probably want to hear more about is sort of what the day-to-day role of doing creative sync means so for instance i primarily work on films so my day on the creative end starts honestly i wake up and i read the trades just to see what's going on in the film tv space here in Uh North America and globally. Uh Um, And honestly, it starts with text messages and emails from music supervisors, production companies, directors about what they're looking for for particular projects, whether it in some cases are, we have a song in, but we know we can't afford it. Do you have other options to, hey, we have a movie that's coming out in a year and a half and we wanna just put together ideas for the director. Here are the themes, here are the moods. Uh, it could be, "Hey, we have a soundtrack coming out with a project, and we have the five songs that we definitely know are going in, but we also need other ideas. Do you have songwriters, producers who want to take a stab at you know creating bespoke material so really it's it's really truly a creative process of me analyzing, pitching, knowing cobalts, songwriters, producers, or artists. repertoire and Mm -hmm. trying to fill that creative need that whomever the creative is needs so whether it's you know i would say some days some weeks i'm stuck in i'm stuck in eras meaning i could be working on three projects and and they all take place in the late 70s early 80s and two of them take place in upstate new york and one takes place in like austin texas and i have to research What were kind of people listening to in Austin, Texas at this era? Like what was charting? And then I can go in the Cobalt catalog and pitch from there or pitch other ideas. Um, And then there's other times where it's like we're looking for the newest and freshest things that you have coming out. So sending that over, being budget conscious, making sure to work within the budget of, you know, whoever the outside clients are. Um, And then a lot of my job, too, is being very proactive about, you know, our signings, our songwriter signings, our songwriters who Mm -hmm. happen to be artist signings and making sure that the supervision community, um, directors, production companies, pretty much anyone who touches music to picture is aware. Mm -hmm. So there's a there's a bit of marketing on that end. And, you know, as a publisher, we're signing songwriters all the time. And again, some songwriters behind the scenes, they write the songs, they're not artists, so there's mm-hmm. an interesting way of pitching and marketing and developing them to the supervision community versus a songwriter who happens to be the artist, so I can kind of piggyback on, hey, we have this songwriter who is the artist, and that's yeah. another strategy in terms of, you know, pitching them their music, what they want for, in the in terms of the sync space, and this is on a global level, um, this is, you know, again, I'm one of 27, everyone on my team is are all excellent at what they do. They all handle different media, different clients. So also it's just a management of information. And by information, I mean music, which I'm passionate about, but it does come down to being very, very organized also. So it's sort of, you know, setting those templates and benchmarks, um, ideas, targets, and plans for the team to be able to be successful in their own right and, you know, their relationships and they're equipped with everything that they need um, from Cobalt's in.
0: Got it. So you're also grooming, I don't know if that's the right word, new upcoming talent as far as music writers or oh, lyric 100, writers.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, uh-huh. Yeah. And a lot of them, and it, I would say a lot of them, but just a lot of people, you know, the sync space and sort of any of these niches within the music industry are, yeah. you know, a lot of people have like outside views of how they work. So it's my job yeah. to explain to them how it works, explain to them like why maybe they're single, isn't working for sync but maybe the eighth song on their album actually works better because it has better pacing it has more dynamics and it's working in this media versus that media um got it so uh, so there is a bit of education which is fine and that's my job and again like i like educating our client our writer clients and management about how sync works because at the end of the day i want everyone to try to be as successful and get as many wins on the board as possible and that only works if we're sort of speaking the same language and they sort of know what we're doing.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Just out of curiosity, my own thing just popped up in my head. What is, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it or you heard of it or you heard about it. What the most amount of money was paid for a song to be in a commercial or movie, whether you witnessed it from Cobalt or some other company, I'm sure some numbers were like mine, but just curious for me and for our listeners.
1: I honestly, Cannot yeah. say that because you'd have to mention just, the artist. you no, don't mention I, the artist I, I, if you, <laughs> I would I would get I would get in trouble. I,
0: I would want say, you to get in trouble.
1: Yeah, no. I would say that uh I can't say even a number or anything, but I would say that just in, in general in the landscape of yeah. sync over the years, it's been in yeah. the millions.
0: In a minute for a song. Wow. Yeah. To be used in a commercial or a movie or a show, whatever. Unbelievable. Wow. Well, this is great for the not, viewers who inspired not the, the artist. Not, not the norm, but not yes. The, yes. <laughs> uh, Cobalt's slogan, we exist to empower creators. I love that. Speaks volumes about its mission. How do you personally align with this message when it comes to making decisions for Creative Sync, ensuring that every you know move empowers the creators you work with?
1: Yeah, so that is definitely Cobalt's slogan. Um another and again I've been at Cobalt going on sixteen years now. Um mm-hmm. Cobalt started Cobalt started in uh two thousand, the year two thousand, I joined in two thousand eight. So I've seen it grow from I mean, the LA office when I started was five people to where we are now. One one thing that uh that I love about Cobalt, the ethos of transparency and also the ethos of you know, we administer our, our our core business model is that we administer publishing, um, meaning that our creators, our clients, our writers, mm-hmm. most of them own their own publishing, and we happen to administer them. Meaning that there's a partnership there. I it's I truly like that. You know, an a writer artist creates something, they sign the cobalt. Mm-hmm. cobalt didn't create it so in my mind it's sort of like yeah why should we own a piece of it we should be partners in this and every step of the way as partners when they succeed we succeed when we succeed they succeed so that's so part of the empowerment is honestly intellectual property to whoever the who the cli- who the client is them owning their intellectual property in that sense and then you know having partners whether it's, you know, a writer has a manager, they have a business attorney, like mm-hmm. hopefully they put their trust in those people to help move their vision forward. And Correct. for Cobalt, as a Cobalt as an administrator of publishing, that's it's sort of the same way. So I think the empowerment starts there. And then secondarily, just as it pertains on the SYNC side, it's really communication. Like I make it a point to communicate pretty much with all of our active clients who want to be part of SYNC. Because Mm -hmm. each one is very different and they have different ideas for what they want, where they want their music, how they're positioning themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it's and I never fault any artists for however they want to position themselves. I can only give them the perspective from my perspective and my expertise from the sync side. So whether we have an artist who comes in and drops off an album and says, here are the 10 songs. Don't ask me for any more. Try to pitch these songs. I'm going out on tour. That's that's the way we operate. It's totally fine. And I will, me and my team will figure out a way to, you know, uh, bridge success for what they want there. There's other Mm -hmm. there are other people who are like, here's the out. Here's my album. I have all these other additional songs I'm willing to write. I'm willing to, you know, do day to day work. I want to be in communication. That's great, too, because at the end of the day, and I always say this, I love what I do so much. But at the end of the day, it's, it's truly sales. I'm trying to sell a song to fit a uh in a scene so one song <laughs> to you know on on uh, in one film in one scene and the best way for me to sell is to have as much knowledge a about the song and about the artist and about my client the songwriter if they are the artist or not as possible so the more information i have the better it is for me to sell that particular song and that only comes from communication so i'm so empowerment really is about communication like good bad and different let's talk I will tell you why this is working, why this hasn't worked. What else I need from you? What you as a client need from me? Very open about like our team. Um, you know, you are if you're one of our clients and you're buzzing in in Germany, it's like go and I will commu- I will you know uh, connect you with our German create German creatives there because they're on the ground. They they know what projects are coming through, so you can have yep. sort of like that dialogue and discussion.
0: Interesting. Um, With your extensive career, uh, it's fair to say you've developed a crystal ball into the industry trends. In your personal opinion, how can technologies like AI help the sink industry?
1: Yeah, it's very interesting. Um, You know, I think when tech comes into any space, it's always jarring at first. So I feel as though right now, our industry, even the music industry in general, is in a bit of like things are very jarring because they're happening very fast on the on, on the tech side. The way I look at tech and AI is they're all tools. Like my iPhone is a Correct. tool. The apps are tools. Um, yeah. You know, we move from uh, recording analog to digital out of a box, and it's just a tool.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So mm-hmm. really, what really what I think is you know. Will it help us, and I don't mean cut corners in a bad way, but uh, spend less, I was to say, spend less time on certain aspects of the industry and we can cut down time. That's, I think that that's great. What we what we really need to just be cautious about is, you know, protecting copyright. So there will be, you know, there are probably going to be AI solutions for trying to manage just the amount of data I think like Mm -hmm. in the, in the, in the sphere of like the copyright world, whether it's ASCAP, Mm -hmm. whether it's BMI, whether it's registrations, whether it's split disputes, like what that looks like. I don't know. I think on the back end, that could be really, really helpful and really, really useful. Absolutely. Um, Especially if there are, do I, I don't personally, I don't believe there will ever be a central market for that, but there could be various central markets for that where you as a, you know, as a, as an end user of music, trying to sync, it can go and get the information that you need. Um, Mm -hmm. but then, you know, there's also, but then there's also the detriments as we see with, you know, AI created and deep fakes and this, that, and the other. And to me, that's always just going to be, uh, uh, tech's going to push. Then the industry needs to coalesce, fight back. And Mm -hmm. then we come to some sort of agreement. Um, and really right now, I think, especially in music is we it's so interesting because we all can agree that music drives culture like music is very important very very important to driving culture Mm
0: -hmm. however
1: out of all the art like you know painters uh any type of art design i feel as though music is valued the least in general like you know you walk into a store you hear music you're like most people just think it's free, but it's actually setting a mood, right?
0: If you walked into- sure, sets the mood. Absolutely, yeah, yes. You
1: walked into a high-end furniture store- You walk in-
0: and How many times have you heard it? The gym sucks. The music sucks at this gym. <laughs> yeah. You know, I cannot work after this music. So it yeah, does but set they, the they, they, they It probably, is a very important aspect. Yeah, but they
1: probably have it on for a specific reason. A similar reason why they probably yes. make gyms very cold, right? So it's- Yes, um, yes. But, but this is just kind of like across the board. And obviously, if you know, look at the news now, like the whole- tiktok fight with uh universal it's like because most probably you know most a lot of the tiktok content driven is music based whether it's dancing whether it's music behind this that and the other so i think really just with tech and music in general going forward is just at least and again i'm on the music side is making sure that we're valuing music and it's and it's very hard to do again you see a painting you walk in they tell you how much it is that's kind of it, and the valuation's just, and people recognize and understand that. You hear music, and it's like some people just think it's free, like some people no, think it's, it's yeah. So, so, um, so I'm not afraid of technology. You know, I embrace it because again, I sort of see it as a tool, and it's just like I'm just going to have to figure out how to use this tool uh, to my advantage to help myself, cobalt my yes. clients
0: to you know well, maximize I like baby. what you're saying is a tool as long as it continues to be used as a tool not uh, to replace the creative part mm-hmm. uh, because that's when it gets a little funny Yeah know. Yeah uh,
1: I mean it's I don't know if it'll it's not going to fully
0: replace but you, but know, you know what I, I mean yeah, Yes yeah. yeah uh you said something you said you know music is one of the main drivers for culture and it's not recognized that but really it is it's it goes hand in hand with fashion And my opinion is, you know, AI is great as a tool when it comes to music. I think as long as it, okay. um, AI doesn't live in a culture. AI based on data Mm
1: -hmm. can
0: make probably great music, generative AI, but based on music that already been made, you know, learn from it, but would, AI comes up with all new sounds and all new – it has to be – it has to live in the culture. It has to live out. There. It has to live in communities. You know, a lot of the trends coming from Africa. So AI going to have to go and live in Africa and listen and understand the history and the culture to come up with – so that's where kind of the creative part I think you need to stay. To, is in, You know, we need to protect the of art and yeah.
1: the creative
0: people. Yes.
1: Yep, yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, yeah. I think at the end of the day with all technology, it always has to – be um, communicated through a human yeah. at some point. So it's like, to me, you know, it, there's, there's the AI conversation about production and this, that, and the other. However, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, if you're using chat GPT because you cut, you run into writer's block and you have all the ideas and it's giving mm-hmm. you ideas to spark something to help you finish like the last four stanzas of a song. Yeah. You know, is that acceptable? Or is that not? Or to me, it's like, you know, a lot of, there are a number of producers who are incredible, but don't know how to, you know, play piano. But they do everything Correct. via, you know, Pro Tools, and they put bars together. But they make incredible music. That to me is like AI. We, we're living in that now, and we constantly use that. So that's sort of like we don't really think of it in that way. But that's a form of AI too. But at the end of the day, that producer has to pr- produce it, you know, deliver it to an artist to sing, and it has to all come together. So. Again, I think we do have, I think we do have enough just people and, and the business structure to protect moving forward. It's just that, you know, we, it's always the initial where yes. we've been dumped into the, the to the cold end of, of of the deep end of the water. So it's like the initial shock and we want to make moves and do this that and the other, but also too, I just think that there just needs to be communication between Tech and and music and protecting you know the art and it's always going to be a pull and push. That's just how business is when two entities get together. It's always
0: pull and push. I'm sure your global you know your excuse me. I'm sure your global role has significantly influenced uh, diversity and you know inclusion in the sync space. How can our music industry do a better job uh, at providing equal opportunities?
1: Yeah, this is you know this is. uh, Multi-layered question. Uh, multi, it's a question with a multi-layered Answer. answers. I should say, right? <laughs> yes. Because everyone has different opinions, and they're all right. And we all need to just consider them. One yes. of the big things for me that I that I feel on my in my side of the industry is that yeah. it has to start at the entry level. Like diversity, inclusion, um, different voices in the room has to start at the entry level. Uh, I understand, look, I love the college I went to and, and it's great. And literally I'm like a diehard USC fan, but I also think about where I am now. Like I did need USC in a sense to help get where I am, but I kind of walked into not knowing really what I wanted to do as an intern and walked into universal and asked for an internship. Could a high school graduate who hasn't gone to college do that? Absolutely. Uh, so I think all I have to say I think the entry level to being a, like an assistant for me, an assistant for an A&R, that to me, you need a college degree and these sort of like metrics that we put down. And I'm not saying that, obviously, there are uh, many people who, black, brown, women, uh, there are other that go- that go to college and do well. That's not to say that, that we need to lower it for that reason. But it's like the pool yeah. of entry needs to be... Uh, very open at an entry level, because for me at my position, if I needed a to hire say a director level, really what i'm going to do is really ask people in the industry who they recommend, and you have to work your way up to either that level or someone recommends someone who's like, "Hey, this person's a manager at this company, but they're doing like director level work, and the only way you get in those positions is you have to start from an entry level um, you know the music industry success isn't linear so to speak it's not like you do this and then this is guaranteed to happen and this is guaranteed to happen say like a like if you wanted to become an architect however to me diversifying the sort of assistance pool Mm -hmm. and then from there those who rise to the top rise and then i think that that's how you sort of spread and manifest the different voices in the room and that's sort of like a mission that i try to do um, mm-hmm. Obviously, it's very different for different aspects of the industry. Um, you know, voices in the room at an executive management level uh, yeah. perspective, uh, you know, what we're signing, how we're defining uh, different genres or cultures, this, that, and other. there's all those conversations to be had. But for me, I really want to try to value, you know, getting different people in the room at the starting level because. At the starting level at for any company, for any industry, you know, the in theory, those who work hard, Correct. hopefully will get promoted and elevated. And if that pool is a mixture of, you know, the mixture of America, the faces of America, then to me over time, that's how that sort of happens.
0: And it's it's and you emphasize, I, I noticed, that it's really important because it's the grassroots of all the knowledge what's going to set you up and open you and get you elevated to where you want to be.
1: Yeah. I, I always say, like, again, I loved USC. I loved my program. I always yeah. tell people, coming uh, when I started at Universal as an assistant, USC Correct. put me about, I say, put me eight months ahead of someone who had never been in a music industry program at USC. So I came in knowing... I came in knowing certain terms, and, and you know, if I looked at a contract, oh, I know what MFN means. Oh, I know what like how splits work. But if mm-hmm. someone also was just very motivated and eager to learn and work, who hadn't mm-hmm. done that program in eight months, they would have known the same thing I would have known, and we were probably at equal footing at that point. So, to me, it's like invest in actually, you know, finding people who are motivated, and you know, I think mentorship is important too, and that doesn't mean. That can mean anything. Like I have yeah. a ton of, I have a have a, a number of mentees and some it's just, mm-hmm. honestly, we just check in once a month and just talk about like life and they'll tell me what they're going through. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, you need to stick this out. Like there's nothing else to do, but put your head down and just work hard, trust me. So, mm-hmm. or others, it's a lot more involved. So I, I just think that that's how we actually start that process.
0: Great. Uh, that's so far, that's an incredible journey you had. Uh, the music industry is known for its challenges and setbacks. Can you share a difficult moment you faced in your career and how did you overcome it? Um, Yeah, you know, I think
1: this is just, for me, a difficult moment for me was just realizing even as, and this is just me realizing just even as like I love music. I love all types of music separating when I got to the point when I knew I needed to separate personal art music that I like and love versus, you know, getting the ball across the line for various types of clients, genres, Yes. dealing with different manage type type of managers and artists. Um, Cause I do believe, especially in the sync side, I do believe that there are solutions for everyone and it's just my job to figure that out. So it wasn't difficult in a sense, like, oh my God, how am I gonna get through this? It was more for myself and to expand like my palette. Um, when I started like really started working creatively, I would say like my like my true creative journey started like in 2010 when I was like really doing creative. Mm-hmm. I I started figuring out where, where the holes were in creatively what I listened to. So to be honest with you, singers, songwriters. Was not a strength of mine, but you know what I tried to do and I'm still doing it now. I yeah. would just sit and research. I'd go on playlists. I would watch old YouTubes. I'd read like articles. I'm like, oh, okay. I see why this works. And honestly, going to live shows, one of the biggest things, you know, I know that it's in vogue for people to be like, I like all music, but I like country music. And I used to be like that back in the day too. You know, what yes. changed my mind, changed me when I went to Nashville and saw the music live when I was in studio with people and saw the creative process. And I remember I forgot what show it was, but honestly, I was one amongst a thousand people. And I was like, honestly, the fault is mine. I need to understand like why this, why everyone here knows all of these songs. And just because, Oh my God, like this isn't the genre I'm, I'm into. Like, I was like, Nope, I have to figure this out. So after that point, I told myself like, I need to try to educate myself as much as possible on as much as possible. You know, like there are obviously a lot of music and artists that I love that to me, it's sort of like the back of my hand. And yes, I do research on them, but I actually get a kick out of really, really deep diving into maybe artists and genres that I they either are blind spots or. I never really thought about him that much. Like we have the Roy, we like Cobalt has the Roy Orbison catalog that we administer. I knew Roy Orbison, pretty woman. Oh, pretty woman. Mm -hmm. Then I, after, you know, this is years ago when I did my deep dive on Roy Orbison and just started listening to like his music story and learning everything about like, now I'm like the biggest Roy Orbison fan. (laughs) And that to me wouldn't have happened if I would have been like, Oh, okay. It's Oh, pretty woman. It's running scared. It's like, like there's like two other songs and that's all i really need to know it's like no there were different eras of roy like just roy as a person his voice his songwriting like you know so to me that's just an example of for me something that was difficult and trust me it was difficult for like i remember six Mm -hmm. seven eight months like okay i have to just i have to do this i have to do this and now it's actually i sort of relish that when we sign something that I'm not too familiar with. And I do a deep dive and I'm like, wow, this person has like millions of streams. Like I need to figure this out for myself. So, yeah.
0: Interesting. Very inspiring. And your opinion, what is, uh, what are some of the misconceptions people have about the music industry? Um, I should say common misconceptions. Excuse me. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I always say this and it sounds so cliche, but it's called the music business, not the music music. meaning. Music is first, but it's called the music business, and there needs to be the business aspect of it also. So I think Mm -hmm. a misconception is that, you know, and to have any sort of business, there needs to be organization, there needs to be plans, there needs to be, like, teams around. So, you know, a song can be great. And, you know, those rare songs can break through with the business side is disorganized, but to be honest with you, most songs, most artists who break through whatever that means, their business side is usually very, very organized and to a mm-hmm. So I think that and this is very, very hard, especially for, you know, uh, starting out artists or artists that don't have too big of a budget. You have to remember that you're your own CEO and you're your own president. So, mm-hmm. you know, I have many friends, many artists who don't have huge teams. And what I tell them. Is once a month on a Sunday, you need to be the CEO of your business. And like on a Sunday, just block out three hours and go through your entire business. What are your expenses? Like what label talks are you having? What's the advantages, the, the cons, the, the pros and cons to signing with so-and-so? These three managers want to go after you. How do you want to, you know, approach them? Like what are your future goals, right? Like, so you have to, it's hard. You have to manage yourself as a business and not just oh, I have these songs and what I'm going to do is just release a song a week for like four weeks to an album, which is great. But also what's the plan after that? Who are you con- Lana? like, what publications are you trying to go after? Who are you contacting? Like make a list of people you want to reach out to, knock them off of that list. It's, it's very artists, art business is very organizational too. Like even mm-hmm. more so than Sometimes financial businesses and other types of businesses, you need to try to be as organized as possible because I I I truly believe if you have sort of a roadmap to kind of where you want to go, even if you veer off, you sort of have north stars. Mm -hmm. So you know maybe you want to go on tour, do a solo tour, but oh my god, uh, you know a big artist wants you to now open for them. You're going to scrap your original tour solo, but now you're thinking, okay, in a year and a half after playing for this person, I can up my venues for my. You know, my solo tour. It's like your North Star is still your solo tour, but you're being diverted to something better. So I just really think organization is important. Um, I think that that's like the biggest misconception. And then also, too, and this is just with anyone and everyone, uh, Mm -hmm. what success means. I think it's very important for artists to define what success means to them. And they really need to be honest with themselves and really what they want. It's very easy to look at your friends who are artists who are doing this, that, and the other. It's very easy to look at, you know, super, super A-listers. And that's fine. That could be a goal. And honestly, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to say it and don't be afraid to try to achieve it. Mm -hmm. But you also need to make sure that you're doing, you know, sort of check marks along the way and be proud of yourself. Be proud of yourself for getting a label deal. Like, celebrate that for like an hour. (laughs) Be like, that was a goal. I checked that off. I'm happy with it celebrate that now what's sort of like the next goal because as david bowie said your life as an artist you're never going to reach you're never going to reach the peak so you know thinking that oh i just want to do what taylor swift's doing guess what taylor swift still has multiple goals she wants to reach same with beyonce same with harry styles even when they get to those levels because when you're an artist artist you're you're never going to reach the peak you always want more in a good way so i think it's just very important to also just sort of set those sort of benchmarks and things that you can achieve, things that are pie in the sky, long-term, short-term.
0: Interesting. Um, As you know, collaboration is often a key element in the music world. Could you share a memorable collaboration story of someone or someone you work with that left an impact on you?
1: Yeah. um, Honestly, I'm like collaborating every day. So it's whether it's internally with, like I work very closely with like our, my A&R team and like mm-hmm. they have signings and they're in studio and they're like, we're going to go and like, listen to songs of this new uh, signing. Do you want to come from a sync perspective? And I'm like, absolutely. And I'm sitting there and, you know, they, they, and R may be listening to it for, oh, this cut will be good. I'm going to send it to this, maybe this artist to cut. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there hearing other songs, like I'm actually working on this film project. I think this could be good for it. Mm -hmm. Would you mind tweaking it, doing this, that, and the other? So there's inspiration on that end. There's, there's collaborations with artists directly. I mean, at this point in like my career, like I talk to a lot of artists just directly and we're just spitting ideas back and forth, uh, to one another and, and just being involved in that collaborative process of them making their music and them trusting me. Uh, mm-hmm. And then obviously there's collaborations, you know, in the film world on like projects or soundtracks that I work on when I'm getting cobalt writers and producers involved with songs for, you know, whether it's big movies, whether it's small indie documentaries, um, like our business is built on collaborations. No one's making this all on their own. Um, you yeah. have to, you have to be able to collaborate uh, because that's how, honestly, too, just how creative
0: juices get flowing. Correct. Correct. Um, I know we touched on that subject earlier, uh, technology. Technology has significantly changed the music landscape. How have achievement or advancement, excuse me, in technology influenced your work uh, and the music industry in a whole or as a whole?
1: Yeah, I think one of the biggest things on the sync side for on the advancement of technology has been the technology of the streamers. So if you just if you look at sort of what Hollywood looks like now, um, you know, Netflix is global. They sort of Netflix is global. Apple Plus is global. Amazon is global. And they have really influenced, especially on the film and TV production side, for those traditional companies to look globally also. So and what what happens with that is that opens up new doors and that opens up new music to be used, new territories for music to be used, new Pockets of music and genre and culture to be placed in TV shows to be uh, so. To me, the biggest influence on tech right now is just trying to stay on top of all of these you know exciting projects that are coming globally and and thinking about sync from a global perspective and not necessarily traditionally in the past and especially just being in LA that oh the center of entertainment is just in Los Angeles it still is to an extent but there are also incredible productions coming out of the uk out of germany out of portugal out of west africa out of you know different countries in asia and it's australia so to me um i forgot the famous economist said like the earth is flat thinking about like how we communicate and how you know right now we're talking via zoom or how we can call someone and facetime them and they can be in poland at this very moment it's like that's the sort of way I'm thinking about sync and art and music in sync. And that's only happened because technology has really accelerated us to this point.
0: Interesting. Um, for our listeners and for everybody or viewers, how do you stay updated to your latest trends or on the latest trends, innovations or changes in the industry and how important, uh, it is to continue to learn.
1: Yeah. Um, continue to learn every single day that's my motto uh like i said how i stay up on trends uh I, my when i wake up in the morning it's i first like hollywood reporter variety deadline go to this other site called the numbers uh so i sort of try pitchfork there's other music uh publications that i look up that's the start of my day and that's whether just reading headlines I save a lot of articles to read when I have like downtime to really like get into them. And then there's, uh, you know, other things that I'll read immediately. Um, so that helps with trends. I also, honestly, I'm a, I'm a carnivore for music. So there's a, a lot of playlists that I follow. And yes, I follow like rap caviar and new music Friday and lorem and pigeons and planes, but there are other playlists that I follow just random that have like 1,000 listeners but it's just like interesting music coming out of guadalajara and i have like a playlist and it's like <laughs> oh cool like indie this that and the other different different sub i try to follow uh i'm always on youtube i'm not on tiktok but i go through because i want to stay on top of trends and things that are happening and honestly yes. recommendations from friends um Obviously, I have like a lot of friends and colleagues just in the industry. Mm-hmm. So even just flipping through, even just like their Instagrams and seeing like what they're listening to. Uh, and then, you know, for my, for my job in particular, I do rely on management of artists, artists directly sending me things and ideas, the team of ARs at Cobalt globally, my team globally on the creative sync side. Um, and pretty much people just kind of like I trust like. My brother's not in the music industry, but he sends me great stuff that I get into. Or <laughs> I have friends who are just like, hey, have you heard this? And I'll just, you know, absorb it in the way that I need to absorb it. So, you know, it's it's a constant, it's constant feeding of information. I always say, like, again, I'm like a carnivore for anything music related. But if you ask me to, like, cook, I can't do that. So <laughs> I know what sort of, like, my strengths and weaknesses are in that sense. Um, but, yeah, you know, I know... This is like my career, I'm passionate about it. So, and I and I truly value art and the artists. So the more I can know, the better. I know I won't ever know er- everything and I'm happy to ask questions. I'm happy to dive deep. Um, I come from a place of, yeah, I know a lot about music, but I'm never pretentious about it. I want everyone to discover whatever they discover at the time they discover it. Um, and yeah, so that's that's kind of how I stay on top of it. And also going to live shows. I'm, I'm personally just very big on seeing things live in whatever iteration they are, whether it's a DJ at a warehouse or it's an orchestra. Like I like seeing it live with fans and see how they react.
0: Interesting. Well, for our listeners and viewers who's going to be extremely inspired by your story and your journey so far, some of them might want to, take the same path and say, hey, I'm inspired. I'm motivated by Chris's journey so far in the music business. Yes, if he did it, I could do it also. But I have to say one thing, though. I do a lot of interviews, and everybody have their own way of inspiring others and their own journey. Yours, I have to say, is done. You're the perfect example if somebody wants to do something, anything in life, whether it's in the music. You took the right steps from the beginning. <laughs> I have to say, every step you made so far from talking to you, listening to your story, it's very inspiring, obviously, and for our listeners. So it does work because not always everything is traditional. It's not always the traditional way and a conventional way, but yours was going to school, follow your passion, what do you like? you know, have the courage to walk in and to ask for, hey, what's the worst could happen? No, we're not interested. We don't want to hire you. Mm -hmm. You know, at at, at an entry level position where you absorb all the information, you'll learn. You you weren't entered, unpaid. But again, the the money you earn, it's actually knowledge. And knowledge is wealth and power. And you learn that. And then from there, you got a job. They liked you. They trusted you. So please give us advice, tips on people who are going to be extremely inspired by you. A lot of our viewers and listeners.
1: Yeah, I would say, especially if you're, especially if you're starting out, you may think you want to do just one specific thing in the industry, but don't be afraid to start somewhere else just to get in sort of the work pool. Right, like you may want to mm-hmm. be A but you have an opportunity to work like on a sync team. But the A and R office is right next to the sync team, so if you can work there, you can just walk over to the A and R folks and be like. Hey, I'm on the sync team, but I'm actually very interested in ANR. I'd love to just grab coffee with you and maybe chat about like what you do. Very big on like informational interviews. You'd be surprised, myself included, as you could probably see, people like to talk and they like to talk Correct. about themselves and not and not in a conceited way, but because you get to a certain point and you want to help others. Um, also understand like you know everyone also too is sort of you're on your own path. So I would people are inspired by my path. That's great, I'm here for that, but also understand like you are also on your own path, and I'm a true believer that if you work really hard and work like really hard and are passionate about something, luck and opportunity finds you, so you know, I always correct people when they're like, "You're so lucky to do what you do." I'm like, "I actually worked very hard, <laughs> and you know what happened? I was splashing around in the pool and the, and it attracts attention and sharks, right? So sharks in a good way. So to me, yes. it's, it's just very important that if you commit to interning or working at a job, and even if it's not what you want to do at that exact moment, do that job so well that your bosses, the higher ups, whoever can do nothing but recommend you for when you want to make the jump or there's a opening position. It's like commit yourself. To, to doing that, and then also just absorb and be a sponge, and especially, I mean, I'm a bit older, but especially if you're younger, you should yeah. be going out to shows, if you want to work in music, you should be going out to shows, you know, the the lines to reaching out to artists and managers now is actually Very flat. You can DM. I DM artists and managers all the time who aren't even signed to Cobalt, just to say like, "Man, I really love your stuff. (laughs) If I can do it, you can do it." And you start building connections that way. And I've done that with people who we've either eventually signed or even artists who are now big. Like, just we started talking like three years ago, just like, "Hey, I like your music and this, that, and the other." So, really, the hardest part is just starting. Don't take no personally. Like, people are gonna say no. People are not gonna. Reply to your emails. You just have to be yourself and just try to fight through that. But if this is something you want to do, you definitely can do it. It's just you got to start somewhere. So just start.
0: What an amazing, uh, motivating advice. Absolutely. Uh, I hope all of our listeners in Soundbreaker take that and go ahead and proceed their dreams. Uh, before we end this lovely, beautiful, very insightful interview, Uh, Chris, anything that you want to talk about that you guys at Cobalt or you personally or Cobalt coming up with something that for our listeners to look for or viewers, you know, to look for in the next uh, months or two or a year? Yeah,
1: just, uh, I mean, I could reel off the amount of uh, the signings and the artists and things that like I'm super excited about that we have coming through Cobalt. I mean, again, uh, just really, I mean, if you, People visit Cobalt's website, you'll see what our, what our roster looks like, but we're, we're continuously signing great things every day. I think we're working just very hard for our, the clients that we have. And, uh, and yeah,
0: that's pretty much it. Well. All great things has to come to an end. We appreciate having you on the show. Thank you for joining us today. Awesome. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. My pleasure, man. Good to have you If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to share the Soundbreaker podcast. And if you are joining us on YouTube, please like this video and subscribe to the channel. Until next time.